Welcome to our weekly recording of the service here at Bigger and Blackmount Churches. I'm Mike Fucella, I'm the minister here, and we are so glad that you could join us. It's my prayer that you will be blessed by the message this week. If you'd like to find out more about us, please do get in touch. Contact me at biggerkirk09 at gmail.com. That's biggerkirk09, all lowercase, at gmail.com. So here's the message this week. Let's turn to God in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you that we are not called to do this thing called life on our own. Thank you that we have other people to share our journey with us. But even more, thank you that we have you to teach and to guide, to convict and to inspire. Thank you that our thoughts and our experiences are not the be-all and end-all, but that in your word is truth and wisdom and life. Help us, Lord, this morning to be open to the movement of your spirit. Help us to let you search us and know us. Help us to let you speak your word of truth into our lives even if that truth can be uncomfortable. Remind us once again that you love us. And all that you do, even the painful path on which you sometimes lead us, is for our good and for your glory. We pray now the prayer that you taught all your followers. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now I'd like to introduce Valerie to you, Valerie Sim. She's the regional director for, for Lanark, a regional worker for Scripture Union, Scotland. And she's been helping with our holiday club this last week. Can I say at the very outset, a big thanks, Valerie, to Valerie, to Callum, and to all the team from from Bigger and Blackmount who helped to make this uh, holiday club a big success this week. It has been great. We've had kids from our own congregation, kids that we know, but also kids that we've not met before. We've made new friends this week, and that is so exciting. And we've not only met the kids, but we've met their parents too, and it has been great. And we just hope and pray that we keep those connections as we continue through this journey that God's leading us on. So, Valerie, could you tell us something about the Holiday Club, but, but also your work in Scripture Union so that we can pray for you? Because we believe that Scripture Union 
is a vital thing here in Scotland. So many of our lives have been touched by Scripture Union over the years, and we hope and pray that our kids will be touched by your work as well. So I'll hand it over to you, Valerie. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for having me along this morning. It's lovely to be here after a week of Holiday Club in Bigger. Thank you for your prayers for us as a team and for the event. As Mike said, we had a fantastic week. We had a lovely bunch of children coming along each day, getting really involved, engaged, right from the word go. And we had games, we had crafts, we had songs, we had challenges. And as you'll see from the picture shortly, some of them were quite messy. And we explored stories from the Bible that showed us God's plan for rescuing us from the problem of sin and inviting us into his kingdom. But rather than me trying to explain, it's probably best if you look at some pictures yourself. Let's have a little look at this video. So lots to give thanks for for this week. Now, Holiday Club is a really fun way to begin the summer holidays, but it'd be wrong to think of it as something that's in some ways frivolous or to an extent trivial, because the children around us, they really need to see that there is a God who loves them more than they can imagine. That's what we seek to do at Issue Scotland. Our vision is to see the children and young people of Scotland exploring the Bible and responding to the significance of Jesus. We aim to bring the Bible to children and young people in a way that's age-appropriate, that they can engage with and respond to. And life for young people growing up around us today is quite different from what we experienced a generation ago. And, and some of the things I could share with you might find hard to fathom. Recent studies have shown that one in four of the young people growing up around us today are living in poverty, a quarter of them. One in three have additional support needs, maybe a temporary thing or something that will be with them throughout their entire school life. And only 15%, 15 believe in God. Now that's quite breathtaking, isn't it? The studies that were done just last year showed that there were more children and young people who believed in ghosts than believed in God. Now that's quite, that's quite a shocking realisation for the young people growing up around us today. I set up an issue group in a Lanarkshire primary school in the autumn of 2019. And one day there was a primary five boy came along for the, for the first time and he enjoyed the games, he enjoyed the stories. But when the chat died down, he, he was sitting there looking really perplexed. And he said, how do you know all this about Jesus? I don't know anything about him. This is a heartbreaking situation for us to find the generation growing up around us to be in. But here's the thing. God really loves these children. And he can do amazing things. Let me tell you about just a couple of the things we're doing to bring the Bible to these children. Bible Alive is a programme I've been involved in teaching for the past 15 years. We go through the storyline of the Bible using storytelling, drama, quizzes, sign language, music, and British sign language signing. It makes the lessons engaging, involving, and interactive, and very much in keeping with the curriculum for excellence. The whole class gets this as part of their RE lesson, not just the handful who, who may come along to an issue or church event. And so the whole class has this lesson, and... The kids who thought the Bible was boring, that it would have nothing for them, they are surprised by it. They find the Bible is not what they thought it was going to be. One of the most frequent feedback comments I get is, I thought the Bible was boring, now I know it's exciting. Now we go through the storyline from Genesis to Revelation, but it's not just a series of individual stories, it's done from the perspective of the whole Bible. So right from lesson one, we discover that the Bible says that sin is a problem, it separates man from God that 
God has a plan for dealing with this problem by sending Jesus. And then as we go through the storyline, we see that there are clues of what Jesus was going to do. And I find that seeing these pictures enables the kids to get it. They understand what's going on here. They understand what Christians believe makes sense. And they really engage with these programmes. Teachers frequently tell us that these lessons are the highlight of the kids' week. The one child wrote in his end-of-year report that the Bible Live lessons were the highlight of his school year. And I thought that was good. I thought we're not going to top that. And then one day I got feedback from a child saying the weeks we did Bible Alive were the best weeks of my life. Now, this has been a very strange year. I've been an exception in being able to go into schools and continue to teach Bible Alive. Most schools haven't allowed visitors in. And so programmes we would normally teach at Christmas and Easter and for primary sevens traditions high school haven't been able to happen in the normal way. But a partnership with SU Ireland enabled us to produce Light Up Christmas, Colour in Easter and Move for the, these three events. These were engaging videos with a resource pack that required very little prep from teachers but were freely accessible to all the schools, not just the ones we would normally be in, but any schools, not just in Scotland actually, further afield were also using them. Teachers really appreciated these, they said they were really happy, they met the curriculum requirements in a way that the kids really enjoyed. Technology has been such a big thing this year, hasn't it? And we're very thankful for that. It's enabled us to continue to run events and ministry with kids in primary school by running primary online clubs, secondary connect groups for those in S3 to S6. The Lanarkshire Connect Group enabled us to stay connected with them and for them to stay connected with God's word and support each other through a very difficult year. And our senior discipleship programmes, the things that kind of explore the issues that are particularly pertinent to teenagers, the things that they are wrestling with and helping them to own their faith and live it out, also moved very successfully online. And we got really good feedback from the young people saying how much they appreciated that when their normal support systems weren't in place. Zoom also enabled our Lanarkshire prayer meeting to continue and actually has grown over this period. It's a really encouraging time, 45 minutes once a month. If you'd be interested in joining us, do send me an email. I would love for you to be able to come and to be encouraged as we pray together. Now we're at the end of the school year, we're in holiday club season and normally, as you're sure you're aware, we would be having issue camps. However, at our centres we presently have day camps where the children and young people can come for camp activities and camp teaching while normal residential events can't take place. Now, these are just a few of the things that have been going on. I would love to stay in touch with you and tell you more of what's happening across Lanarkshire. You'll find as you go out the door, there are some leaflets. If you lift one, it'll enable you to get in contact, to sign up to the newsletter that tells you all that's going on. And I would ask you to continue to pray for us. 2CY Trust, the Callum is part of, is part of the wider SU family. And this is a huge family, it covers the whole country, all ages, teenage, trainee leaders, right through to those in their 80s and 90s. And the work that I'm explaining to you today, the work that Callum will be wanting to get engaged with in Clydesdale, it can only happen with prayer support, with volunteer support, and with financial support from people who partner with us. So I would encourage you to pray for our children and young people, pray for the work that goes on, and thank you for your support as we seek to bring the good news of Jesus to the children in this area. Thank you. Thank you, Valerie, and, and, and thank you to SU for all that they do to help our children to know God and to appreciate Jesus as their friend and as their Savior and their Lord. 
I'd like to pray for you, Valerie, and pray for SU as well. And pray for all of us. Um, Bible Alive is a program that we haven't rolled out here as yet. And I'm wondering if God might be speaking to some of us here in the church and maybe online to get involved in that and maybe roll that out in the schools. It's quite a commitment, but I think, as Valerie said, it bears a lot of fruit. Um, Colin's mom is in charge of that prayer meeting that happens once a month. Uh, We will, um, in the description of the video, we'll put in links to Scripture Union Scotland, Valerie's email address, if that's okay, and uh, an email contact that you can get in contact to to participate in that um, prayer meeting as well. Let's, Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for Valerie. Thank you for all the gifts that you have given her. Thank you for her willingness to use those gifts. And we pray your blessing on her and the rest of the team in SU Scotland, that you would use them for your glory, that children would come to know you through their work, and that their hearts would just be inspired by seeing the fruit of what they do. Lord, we pray for ourselves as well, that you would speak to us about how we are to get involved, maybe by financial support, maybe through prayer, and maybe through uh, getting involved in Bible Alive or in the Scripture Union group at school. Lord, speak to us about what you want us to do to reach out to our children. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Moira is going to come and bring us our scripture reading this morning. This morning's reading comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 21 to 48. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully 
has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the oaths you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Amen. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we turn to reflect on very difficult words indeed. Lord God, we need you. We need you to be our righteousness because on our own we just cannot do it. And we need you as we look at this, your word, to help us to understand it. Come, Holy Spirit, 
inspire my speaking and our hearing, that we might understand and live. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we come to our fifth week as participants in this boot camp for disciples of Jesus. And it's proving to be extremely hard work. When I'm looking at these passages, I'm tempted to just rush through. Um, but my head is exploding as we slow down and, and think about it. And I am finding it hard to get a handle on what Jesus is meaning here. I'm thankful for a group that meets together with me on Zoom on Tuesday nights who are asking all sorts of awkward questions of the text and of me. And it's caused me to go back and look and look again and to ask God, what does this mean? Now, hopefully I'll have some answers for you, or at least God will have answers for all of us. Last Sunday, we looked at a key passage where Jesus says that he hasn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, meaning the scriptures, but that he has come to fulfill them. And this morning, we move on to the six examples that Jesus gives of how a disciple should approach the law of God and how a disciple, in approaching the law, should behave in this world. Now, after reading these six examples that Maura so kindly read for us, the most common reaction from any of us who truly is listening will be impossible. It's impossible to live like that. Just look at that list of behaviors Jesus seems to be prescribing. Never get angry. Run after people who believe that you have wronged them. How difficult that is in these days when people take offense so easily. Don't look at anyone who isn't your spouse with lust. And gouge out your eye and cut off your hand if you do that. Don't end a marriage relationship. And if you do, you will be committing adultery if you marry again. Never embellish your words, but only say yes or no. Turn the other cheek when someone slaps you. When someone sues you for your shirt, give them your coat as well. When you're forced to do something like march a mile, go the extra mile and march two instead. Never refuse anyone who asks you for something. Love people who hate you and persecute you. And to top it all off, be perfect, just as God is perfect. Impossible. Impossible. Now, I'm aware the last couple of weeks that I've asked the question, could Jesus really mean this? As we come across 
other things that Jesus has said that have been so outrageous. And I've answered my own question with, well, what Jesus really meant was this. And I'm tempted to do the same this week. But that would serve to take away from the shock that I believe Jesus intended his words to elicit in us and in his first hearers. Jesus said what he said in part so that we would feel uncomfortable. Jesus said what he said to a large extent so that we and his original listeners would say those words, impossible. It's impossible to live like that. Now, you'll be relieved to hear that there is a great deal of historical and linguistic background to this passage that will help us to understand it better. What Jesus is saying here. There are a lot of details in these verses that may actually help to mitigate the blunt force of these words. And we will look at those in detail as we go on, starting next week. But as it stands, I don't think there is a single one of us on reading these verses who won't say about one or more or indeed all of these examples that's me. I've blown it. According to God's standards, I've blown it. Now, that's how most of us think about these verses at face value. But do we think the same way when we come to the Ten Commandments? Our normal way of approaching the Ten Commandments and the law of God is typified by a teacher of the law that we find in Luke chapter 10. You remember that story. He comes to Jesus with the intention of catching Jesus out, and he spars with Jesus about the law of God. And when Jesus won't play his games, Luke says that this teacher of the law wanted to justify himself so he asked Jesus and and who is my neighbor Jesus you remember that story that's the precursor to the the story of the good Samaritan well the Greek word for justify that Luke uses here that this man was trying to do and the word righteous have the same root justify and righteous the Greek word for justify and the Greek word for righteous and we've discussed that word righteousness last week it's there twice in last week's passage and Jesus sums up his teaching there with the words unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven so this man, this teacher of the law, along with the other Pharisees and teachers of the law, wanted to justify himself vis-a-vis the law. The Pharisees and the teachers of the, of the law wanted to show that by their own efforts to justify themselves, they could be deemed 
righteous. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law would spend loads of time and energy debating the 613 commandments and prohibitions in the Old Testament. They debated what was murder and what was not murder. They debated what was adultery and what wasn't. They debated who was my neighbor and who wasn't. They debated what constitutes a valid oath and what doesn't. In their approach to God and his law, they were always trying to limit what the law said so that they could justify themselves. They were looking for loopholes in the law of God. Much the same as mega-rich, people look for tax dodges with the HMRC. They were trying to limit the law to bring the bar down so that they could more easily get over it. And do you blame them? We all want to feel that we are good. We all want to feel that we are good enough. We want to please God. We want him to be pleased with us. We want to feel good about our achievements. But Jesus, here in our passage, wants to show us and his original audience that day another way that was very different to the way of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and very different to the way that we usually approach law and morality. In a way, what Jesus was doing here in this passage was an argument against the approach of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and that natural human approach to God and his demands. In this passage, Jesus is showing his disciples how their righteousness can exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So how is that? How can our righteousness exceed their righteousness? What does Jesus do in reply to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? Well, he gives his listeners and us six examples of laws that were hotly debated in his day amongst the rabbis. He gives his listeners, he begins each of these six examples with the phrase, you have heard that it was said or it was said. And then he quotes the Old Testament law, sometimes with an embellishment from the rabbis of his day. So in the first example about anger, he quotes the fifth commandment, thou shalt not murder. In the second example, he quotes the sixth commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. In the third, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 24, 1, which says that a man on finding something indecent in his wife may divorce her with a certificate of divorce, and so on and so forth for each example. And then Jesus follows up each of these with, but I tell you, but I tell you. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law 
would look at Exodus 20, 13, thou shalt not murder, and they would say to themselves and to their community and to God, no, I have never murdered. I've never willfully planned and executed someone's death. That one's easy. Tick. And then they would look at Exodus 20, 14, the next verse, thou shalt not commit adultery. And they might say, no, I've never done that. And even if I had, I followed the legitimate loophole that said if my wife was indecent, I could get rid of her. And they'd go through the whole list of laws in the Old Testament, do the same thing with each. And at the end, they would say, God, aren't I great? You know, God, because I am so great, God, you owe me. And I'll have this and that and the other thing. And on top of that, God, because I am so great, when this life is done, you owe me a place in heaven. And Jesus, however, does something completely different. Jesus, in these six examples, rather than limiting the scope of the law, Jesus extends its scope. And he says, you heard about the law that it says don't murder. But what I say to you is don't even be angry. That's really what this commandment means. It says don't commit adultery. But what I say to you is don't even look in a lustful way. It says love your neighbor. But I say love your enemies too. It says if, if someone hits you and knocks a tooth out, you can hit him back. But what I say is, if he hits you, let him hit you again. I say exactly the opposite. You say you can swear by this or that to give your statement more weight, but what I say is, don't swear at all. Jesus is expanding the scope of the law. He takes away the limits that we naturally set about it, and in so doing, he catches everyone off guard, you and me and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Jesus is expanding the law, as we have already noticed, to the point that no one is able to say, I've fulfilled it. And now God owes me. No one can fulfill the law except God himself. And that is exactly what God in Christ has come to do, isn't it? Jesus said as much in our passage last week. Look again at the list. Who never ever was angry that he wrote people off, but did everything he could to reconcile his enemies to himself. That was Jesus. That's what he did, wasn't it? Who was completely, who was the completely faithful husband who had an unfaithful bride and yet went to the ends of the earth time and time again to take her back? The prophet Hosea tells us that is exactly the metaphor that speaks of God, the husband, and his wayward people. 
who honored God's name in everything he did, who was even willing to die for that name, whose yes was always yes and no was always no, who turned the other cheek again and again and again, who loved both his neighbors and his enemies so much that he was willing to give his life for them. Christ fulfills the law, and we cannot. The realization of that fact is so important, especially when we come to consider this passage in the Sermon on the Mount. The reformers in their study of the scriptures and based on the thoughts of church fathers like St. Augustine said that there were three uses of the law of God. One was to check evil in the world. The law of God is given to everyone that everyone might know what is right and what is wrong. God's law is not just found in the Old Testament, but even in nature. It is what is known as natural law. And the Apostle Paul in Romans says that what is known about God and the way his world is meant to work has been made known, clearly seen in creation. Through God's gift of his law, we may live peaceably with one another in friendship, in families, communities, and in the world. But it doesn't always turn out that way, does it? And that brings us to the second use of the law. The second use of the law is what Jesus is showing us very clearly here in this passage. Although we know the law, we also know that we, none of us, is able to live up to its standards. The law is a mirror, the reformers tell us, that when we look into it, we come to a place where we have to say, in and of myself, I am unable to do what God requires of me. And then the third use of the law that arises from that second use is to say, since I cannot in and of myself do what God requires, I must put my trust in God to do that for me. I must in faith allow Christ to fulfill all righteousness for me as his gift of grace. And when we do that, we are able to use the law in this third way, which is by the power of God's spirit living within us to shape our lives after the pattern that Jesus sets for us. When we begin to trust in Christ's righteousness, we can begin to humbly meditate on these words, not following them unthinkingly, but letting these words change us from the inside out and actually begin to be the kind of people that are described here in the Sermon on the Mount. Problem is that... Uh, Often we forget that second use of the law and we go straight to the third 
or we think that the this that is written here is for everyone in our world and we use it as a sledgehammer against everyone we know we go straight to the third but without god's grace there is no way that we're going to fulfill this law or be righteous I know it sounds like I am repeating myself week after week, but I believe that a dependence on grace is vital. We must depend on God's grace shown to us in the cross if we're going to understand what Jesus is saying with these challenging words. Depending on grace is the key to making the law of God not only useful, but also joyful. How is that? How can this passage be joyful? But depending on God's grace is the key. It's the key to understanding God's law, his expression of his character found in Scripture. It's not oppressive and heavier than we can bear, but it is more precious than fine gold and sweeter than honey. Now bear with me. <laughs> we haven't explored this passage completely. There's a lot to be said. Next Sunday, we will continue to explore this passage. We will look at the linguistic and the historical background. We will unpack what Jesus is saying here. But for now, we'll just leave it there. And we will reflect on what we have read and heard. We come to a hymn that speaks of Jesus and how in the plan of the triune God, he came to fulfill all righteousness to be for us the king of kings. Let's sit and listen to this.